Have you ever believed in something so much or something so much that when things didn't work out quite as expected, it took you back or it threw you for a loop? It threw you into a place of bewilderment or maybe even disbelief. You know, I had that not too long ago when um, the federal election went on and, you know, I thought we'd get a conservative government. I thought, what's going on? And with a little bit of humor aside, there's a lot of things that catch us unaware. If we're being honest with ourselves, right, we're human. In this human experience called life, we have these setbacks, if you will, these moments where we're like, I didn't even see it coming. But then when we see the purpose of that event, we're like, Eureka! It makes all the sense in the world. And so today I hope that you'll be encouraged this afternoon as we look to Scripture for a few moments. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can, uh, you can turn there. And Isaiah, brother, I'm going to ask you to do a favor as we're doing this. If you can control this camera just to make sure that those who are tuning in this afternoon can see as well. Glad to have you with us. Thank you for all the comments uh, in the feed we see your comments, and uh, we'll have a question and answer time in the next few weeks. So we're going to Luke chapter 24. And as you turn there, you might be thinking, wow, this passage of Scripture is usually reserved for, you know, Easter morning. <laughs> but you're going to see why. Sometimes it's important to remember why we're here in the first place. The Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised... Our faith is what? Meaningless. It's useless. It is futile. If there's any Trekkies in this place, it is futile. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 24. I really believe as we look at this passage together, we're going to see that how in this life, it's many times like a roller coaster of emotions, circumstance. Let's check this out. Starting in verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead, asked the men. He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how we spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be portrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and raised on the third day. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they report all the things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and all the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. And I'm sure the women in the house here this afternoon will say amen to the next part. But these words seem like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. <laughs> Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped in to look, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Isn't it amazing? You know, a lot of times women, and I apologize, going all the way back to the time of the disciples at the resurrection morning, you know, sometimes you're not given the credit that you deserve, that God speaks to you and he reveals himself to you. Just in the same way these women had come uh, to realization that Jesus had risen and they went there to tell the other followers of Christ, 
He's not here. He's risen. Let's continue on for a moment. Verse 13. This is where we're going to park for today. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk among them. But they were prevented from recognizing him, and they asked them, What is the dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you only a visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked. So he said to them, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel. Remember that part for a moment. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it was the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were, who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. We're going to stop there for a moment. This incredible encounter of meeting Jesus on the road to Emmaus on resurrection morning. This encounter. For a moment, park yourself in this scene of what's going on. Imagine for yourself, you've just seen a, a crazy, horrific event. Your Lord, your, your master, the one you believe to be the Messiah, has been crucified, buried, and although he has told them that he would rise again, for a moment, just for a moment, they had left their minds. Whether they parked it for just convenience sake or they were afraid for their lives, whatever the reasons might be, point number one is unbelief began to affect them. In a way, it became like this fog. A lot of us have this fog at times of this unbelief. And for them, their hopes were dashed. Look what he said in verse 21, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. They thought there's no way that the Messiah that we put our trust in, that he would be overthrown in such a way. Wait a second, I thought the, the Messiah was supposed to overthrow the powers and free us from oppression once and for all. And they were partially right, but they got the sequence of events wrong. And as I was looking at this and trying to park this at home and make it personal, in what ways do I expect God to move? 
In what ways have I, in a way, put blinders on or allowed a fog of disbelief to creep in to stop me from seeing how God wants to intervene in my life in the ways that he has promised? And this goes beyond salvation. There's so many different promises in his word. Now, maybe you're like me and you thought, well, did they just forget? Was it as simple as that? You know, they, they did. They just tucked it away and never to be remembered again. Or maybe perhaps just for a moment, they just forgot about the specific event that Jesus alluded to at the Last Supper. Jesus says this in Luke 9.22, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. A lot of times we park there, which is okay. But let's continue on for a moment, and it helps bring this picture into the difficulty of receiving this message. The next popular verse, many of us quote, including myself. Then he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. He's saying to them, this is the way. It may not make sense to you, but this is the way. I have to go to the cross. This is the way. And if you allow that ticker tape to run through your mind, this is the way. Faith begins to stir, and you're able to come alongside of it and see the power of his words take root in your life. And then you can apply it to so many other aspects of life. But somehow, again, in this moment, the followers of Christ had forgotten. And they're human. They're flesh and blood, just like us, right? This cloud, this fog, this cloud of unbelief affects us all. And Jesus knew it was hard for him to accept this point. I mean, who really wants to see their beloved, anyone you love, go to a cross, let alone die? Let's go to point uh, number two. First, we're going to read John chapter six. He says this. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Sometimes we can forget this incredible, very simple point. He says that I should lose none of those he has given to me, but raise them up on the last day. And in case they had, you know, not gotten the message, he reinforces it in verse 40 saying, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone look to the Son of Man, believe in him, and they will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is an incredible reminder of the inheritance that we have in Christ. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, what works must I do? Isaiah, Pastor Isaiah last week spoke so eloquently about the importance of obedience is greater than sacrifice. Here we see that Christ was obedient to the point of sacrifice. He was willing to go to the cross because that was what his father sent him to do. It was a great word, Isaiah. And a lot of times, you know, we need to take our time in that prayer closet, in that moment, that secret place, and say, God, what are you calling me to? What are those things 
even the sacrifice through obedience, like Christ. Now, when Jesus was on the earth, he was doing all these signs and wonders. And right at the beginning of John chapter 6, before he says, I am the bread of life, he's doing all these wonders, including feeding countless numbers with loaves and fish, multiplying the loaves and fish. And so he goes to the other side of the lake. I can't remember the lake's name. doesn't matter. But he goes across this lake, and there's a massive crowd. And they're looking for him. And they said, you know, you're looking for me not because I performed all these signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And he says, do not look for food that spoils or perishes, but look for food that endures to what? Eternal life. And he says, this is what the Son of Man will give you. And on him, the Father has set his seal of approval. And then the crowd says something I think is just wonderful for us here and today. As they say, well, what works? What must we do to do the work that God requires? I don't know about you, but I, every day, I'm like, God, what do you, what do you want of me today? You know, you, you say you desire mercy and not judgment. You're going through all these verses, but very simply, Jesus answers their question, and he says, the work that God requires is that you believe in the one he has sent. The work that God requires is that you believe in the one that he has sent. Sometimes this, this message can lose fire for effect, if you will. Because we complicate it at times. Isaiah and I were chatting last week. It's so important that the gospel can be known by, you know, grade five person, right? If they can't understand it, we're really making it more complicated than it needs to be. Here's the simple message. If you come to he who is the bread of life, you believe in him, you're forgiven of your sin, you're made right with God, and you will be with him for all time. Life after death. But not just... Um, a spiritual thing. It goes beyond that. It's also a new embodiment of life. We're going to see that a little bit later. And so point number two is Jesus walks us through our questions and reveals himself. I love in this passage that Jesus always knows where we're at. He knows what we need. Sometimes he knows he has to take us by the hand and say, come walk with me. Let me tell you things that you do not know. Just like God, the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, the prophet of Israel, when they were in a place of exile. He said, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and unsearchable things. There was this song when I was in Bible school. It was called Come Walk With Me. After high school, I went to this program called Master's Commission. We spent eight months on the road. We took Bible courses while we were on the road in these buses, on these long journeys across Canada. And uh, one of the privileges was writing our own worship music, recording it, going to Phoenix, Arizona, and singing at Phoenix First, which is now Dream City. Anyone know what Dream City Church is? Okay. So the, the Barnett family, just incredible ministry out there with Luke and Matthew Barnett. And while we're there, they penned this song, Come Walk With Me. And on the spur of the moment, I, they were reading this passage. And the worship leader starts singing, Come walk with me, speak to my heart, Lord. And he, they start singing this spontaneously. What's deep in me, only you know, come walk with me. 
And so as I'm reading this passage, I remember this song and just the, the words of the song just so harmoniously blending together with this scripture that it's wonderful that Jesus walks with us and takes us by the hand. Even when we're in a place of unbelief. You know, at times we think we have to have it all together. But he knows that we're human and we're susceptible to that fog. I mean, he was flesh and blood like us. He had weakness. At one point he said to the Father, if this cup could pass from me. But God, not my will be done, but your will be done. He meets us where we're at. I really believe this afternoon that God wants us to bring all of life's questions. What are those questions that you have for him this morning? What are those things that have put you into a place of bewilderment and disbelief? He wants to show you great and unsearchable things. Maybe your past has been holding you, in a way tying you down, that you can't seem to get beyond that thing in your past, and you've even been identified by it. The beautiful thing by his death and resurrection, he has freed you from that identity tag that you're now a new creation and no longer defines you. And there's the other side of it too. Sometimes we identify ourselves of just, man, I'm awesome. I've got this thing. I think I've got this thing figured out. And we forget how much that we need Jesus. To take a moment to look and say, Jesus, you've been here all along. Come walk with me. Just as he is saying, come walk with me. Check out Psalm 37, verse 4. I love this part of scripture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. I know there's someone here today, there's, an, there's ambition, there's deep-seated dreams that God has put within your heart, and they're not fully yet realized. I don't have a specific word of knowledge about who you are this afternoon, but God is working that thing through And he's going to bring it through to fruition because his plan over you, his banner over you is love. If your desire is to have that significant other in your life, commit yourself to the ways of the Lord and he will surely bring it to pass. Point number three, scripture brings comfort and perspective. Sometimes we face, right, difficult circumstances and even if we chew on the word of God and we meditate on it, we can forget those wonderful truths. I'll give you an example. When my dad, that John and I, all of us are so close together that we, we love so dearly. For a moment in that grief, you're in disbelief. Like, Ryan, my dad, he can't be gone. There's no way. Like, this man of faith, this loving, wonderful father, husband to his wife, our mother, how could he be gone? And you start even questioning, like, God, how could this be? Such a young man, even 71 years old. He had so many more years and things to do. But it's in that moment when you pause and ask the question, and I know that all of us do this, is we ask God, what are you trying to show me in this situation? And when we pause and allow his Holy Spirit to speak to us, his words will wash over us, and the words of Scripture will start to take root and flourish into our heart, warm our heart, and you start to remember the hope of the resurrection. Jesus said when he went to raise Lazarus, he said to his sister, you know, do you believe that he'll, he'll rise again? She says, I do believe on the last day. And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, 
even though they die, they will also live. And I remember John and I were in the hospital, and we're praying. Like, we didn't, we didn't give up. We kept praying, like, Lord, resurrect him. You know, bring him back. There's so much more for him to do. But there was a time where there was a shift, I believe, in our heart where we came to grips. We came to realize the event that was happening of the power of the resurrection. And many times, as I said earlier, we lose this important fact, the hope of the resurrection. Everything of our faith resides and rests on that foundation. Yes, there are signs and wonders. Yes, there's incredible things that God shows us in the spiritual realm. There are seers and prophets and all these things that are happening and transpiring. But without the hope of the resurrection, our faith is meaningless. And so the beautiful hope that we all have, I know there's people who have lost dear friends here today, that we will see them again. We will see them again in paradise. This is the promise that he gives. And so scripture comforts our hearts. Look what the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that I might fully preach the word to all the Gentiles so they may hear it. It's a wonderful thing how scripture gives us perspective. Let's go to Luke, uh, still in chapter 24. Let's go to verse 35 for a moment. When the two that were with Jesus returned, they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them the breaking of bread. And so I will go back to verse 30 for a moment. And it was as he reclined the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sights. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them, and they gathered together, who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them the breaking of bread. I just want to park here for a moment. This breaking of bread is so important because it again highlights the importance of why Jesus had to die and rise again. Let's quickly go forward to verse 44. And when he's with them, he told them, these are my words that I spoke with you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. For repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so on the Last Supper, Jesus broke bread. Here's the sign. They couldn't recognize him until that very moment. He broke, he gave thanks and broke the bread. And at the Last Supper, Jesus said that this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, which would have had wine in it, and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. 
And so just for a moment, if there's someone here saying, the blood wasn't necessary, he didn't have to go to the cross, he could have just spoke the word. Well, if that was the case, he wouldn't have given us this incredible symbol, this reminder that his body had to be broken. His blood had to be spilled so we could have the forgiveness of sins and the possibility of permanent satisfaction before our righteous God through repentance and faith. And so as I said, that scripture gives us comfort, gives us perspective. Let's go to Isaiah 53 for a moment. It's a powerful portion of scripture. And while Jesus is on this road with the two followers, remember, he starts telling them about himself from scripture, of the law of Moses and of the prophets and the Psalms. I'm just going to read through it. I tried to memorize it. It was wonderful uh, exercise, so enriching, but I want to make sure we get the words right. So here we go. Right in verse 1, Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at, no appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains. But we in turn regard him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because our rebellion crushed, because our iniquities punished for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. And like a sheep silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was signed a grave with the wicked. But he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely when you make him a guilt offering. He will see his seed. He will prolong his days by his hand. The Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me, that I will not lose any that he puts into my hand, but I will raise them up on the last day. I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never be hungry. Anyone who believes in me will never thirst. This is what was prophesied by Isaiah and what Jesus declared in John chapter 6. And so I say all that to say this. This story of these followers and their experience is also our story. For a moment, just park yourself 
and recognize how Jesus, not only is he with us, walking with us, talking with us, but he wants to show us the events that he's doing in our life. And the most important event that he has worked in our life is the resurrection story that one day when we take our last breath, that we will truly be with him in paradise. And so this is to be a, a joyous thing. It's, it's not like, you know, some funerals where it's like, okay, that's it, it's over. But it, death for us in Christ is just the beginning. Amen? And so as the worship team comes, in closing, we want to, again, just focus for a moment on how Jesus revealed himself through the breaking of bread. How often do you take those moments when you're at home you know, a lot of times we do it in church, and I'm sorry we haven't been able to do it to the level that we're accustomed to when it comes to breaking bread and taking communion together. But I think COVID has shown us that we can break bread, if you will, at any given time. We can pause to reflect and remember the incredible work that Jesus has done on our behalf. And the work that God requires of us is to have faith in the one that he has sent and so the next time that you even break bread, even, even when you're eating any kind of bread, even a burger, and I'm, I know it's not sacrilegious, is that we can recall this incredible symbol of this divine reality that is now present because of what he accomplished, that the curse of sin and death has been broken. There might be some here today that you believe that there are curses that are attached to your life, generational curses and things that still are attached to you. I want to tell you today and bless you in Jesus' name that if you believe in the Son of God, those curses are no more. The only way they take root in your life is if you do not believe in the event of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I'm speaking to myself. There's times that we can form that cloud of disbelief ourselves. And so today, as we go, let's remember these words that Jesus spoke. He says this in Luke 22, verse 15. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And what I love about this, this story, to wrap it all up, is the disciples, the followers, they couldn't see Jesus or recognize him because they couldn't recognize the event. For us, this side of the cross, the grave, and the resurrection, we can recognize the event that it is fully fulfilled in heaven. It's not a kinda or partial, it is complete, it is full. And Satan is, is rearing his ugly head, ticked off of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. He came in in the first meal that Adam and Eve had in the garden with the apple. He thought he had them. He thought he had dissuaded them. He thought he had set this cloud of unbelief for all time. But we know that wasn't the end of the story. And here we have this final supper 
this new meal that was shared. And Jesus gives us this symbol to say, this is the symbol of the new creation. I have restored what has been broken by my broken body. And that is what has spoken to me this afternoon. I hope it has spoken to you. It has encouraged you. May your heart be warmed this afternoon because Jesus loves you so much. He calls you. He says, come follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. It's okay if you don't have it all figured out. I am with you. I am walking with you. So let's respond through a time of worship together as uh, we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the incredible work that you did on the cross. Thank you that you're patient with us, that you take us by the hand. In many ways you say, come walk with me and I will show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And Lord, as we come to a time of worship, we want to remember you with our lips, praise you with our lips, and allow our hearts burst open with love and joy and adoration for what you have accomplished. And Lord Jesus, if I may ask that you would stir that today, this afternoon, that it will go with us. It will permeate in our soul, in our spirit. So when we go into the workplace, when we go in our places of spheres of influence, God, that it will radiate. It'll resonate with those that we come in contact with. And they'll say, I don't know what you have, what's going on in your life, but I want what you have. And you can say that that which satisfies me is the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life and you can know him too. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Just rise with me and we'll sing this last song about the Father's faithfulness. Father of kindness, you have borne our grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Faithful. Faithful. 
with us. You answer all our questions, Lord. You warm our heart with your living word. Thank you for your living word, oh God, that wherever we go, it is with us. It binds us together. And so, God, as we go here this afternoon, we thank you that you are with us, that you are spirit, and that you are guiding us, equipping us, and quickening us to be your representatives, your ambassadors in this place. And as we go into Norfolk County, into the homes, and wherever we find ourselves, that we carry you with us because you are always with us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the work that you continue to do as we put all our faith in you. We declare this all in Jesus' name. Amen.